Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. And uh, if you remember last week, I actually said that we wouldn't have an episode this week uh, because I was going to be traveling, uh, which I am still tomorrow. I'm leaving tomorrow, uh, Thursday. But uh, so but I, lied. I, I lied. said, hey, we can, we can squeeze one Yeah, in which today. kind of threw a wrench on my plans because I have a jam day today. But anyways, good. Um, we have a few topics that we wanted to discuss and uh, we want to make it quick. We always say that and it ends up being a little long, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make it flow fairly smoothly today. So anyways, without further ado, David is with me. You already heard him. Um, so David, you and I were talking before about Google. Uh, obviously, Google is always in the news. And it's funny because last week we did mention that Google, Facebook, and all these uh, other companies are trying to become their own uh, or develop uh, behind the scenes their own um, e-commerce platforms and trying to draw more customers to within their ecosystem and uh, keep them there for all shopping needs. And now Google basically is developing uh, some e-commerce place already that we, yeah. we are, that are already kind of in the news. Yeah, Google, uh, you know, it's funny. I make fun of Google as far as being, of all the big companies, the worst with their strategy in recent years. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I think they have a really solid strategy. And what they're doing is uh, Google knows that you know, Facebook and Amazon, especially in the e-commerce space, are very, very dominant. And they want to find their little angle into it and how they can explore the space. And the two biggest things that they're doing, or I say, I should say the biggest thing that they're doing that uh, has resulted in different things that they've done recently uh, is that they are trying to fill the gaps, find the holes in especially Amazon and Facebook as to where they're not able to provide the best uh, online experience. And so an, a couple examples of that that they've done recently that I wanted to mention is first, uh, they acquired a company called Pointy. Um, and this company, most people probably have not heard of them, but what they are is essentially a, a IoT, Internet of Things uh, company that provides physical devices that let you, that let uh, retail stores basically add any of their physical inventory into mm -hmm. uh, Google Shopping in digitally. So they basically do via API. I mean, they, they link into their stores and then they can get all the database. Basically what Google did with, uh, with hospitality when they were buying yeah. this software uh, or API so they can draw into the uh, booking engines for different hotels and then draw into their mirror search. Yeah, one of the biggest challenges for um, any, I mean, really most companies that sell consumer goods, but especially companies that are trying to handle retail and e-commerce is inventory management and tracking. Mm -hmm. um, and what Google is doing is trying to create the infrastructure so that you can have a fully unified inventory across all of your e-commerce and retail store. And then especially make Google Shopping a place where people can go that has unique products that are not available on Amazon or anywhere else because they're especially targeting lots of mom and pop shops that sell unique things that right. you can only get in that store. But say there's a mom and pop shop, we're in Phoenix and there's something in California that I want. I have no way of getting, what am I going to do? Drive to California to get it? Now I can go on Google Shopping and buy it directly from them. So how does Google make money from this? They get a commission like everything else? Or? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously Obviously, they make money through Google Shopping. They want people to buy Google Shopping ads. So they're trying to promote that platform. Mm -hmm. um, and then the customers of Pointy pay for this product. And so Google is kind of, I heard someone the other day um, give a good analogy. They're trying to be the like AWS of 
uh, digital e-commerce and retail where they're trying to be the infrastructure company. They say, maybe we won't necessarily be the front end like Amazon is, mm -hmm. but we will be the back end infrastructure of the retail e-commerce mix because there's a lot of problems still to be solved in that space as far as the actual back end technicalities of it. There's a lot of struggles and they're trying to solve these things. But, but I see this working a little bit like, like, um, like, you know, we're very familiar with hotel industry and airplanes and air, air, uh, airline industry yeah. and flights and travel and everything else. So all the hotels, for example, are trying to do like book direct and safe because obviously they can book through uh, online travel agencies or or any other method where they, they charge up to 30% commissions so sometimes even more. And obviously they make less money. So would the retailer now be in the same situation where it's like now Google is jumping in the middle and people are going to Google to buy their products versus buy well, direct from us and save or basically we make more money? What their exact strategy will be down the road is kind of unclear. I'm sure they're, they're weighing their options, but um, they're trying to right now uh, make available what is not currently available. And it's similar to what they did in the hotel space because hotel inventory mm -hmm. is a very complicated thing. Right. You and know, they and they've been able the to master that. And now they're trying to make regular product inventory and, and, and master that as well. Because another thing that they're doing after the pointing news, that was two weeks ago, came out uh, this week, they announced that they are uh, creating a new section for apparel. Mm -hmm. which is another thing right. that's yeah. very that difficult thing. to manage the inventory for. So so they're trying to uh, basically build the back-end infrastructure uh, for managing the supply chains of both the digital and physical retail economy. And if they can be the ones that everyone relies on, then they will continue their status as a toll booth, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, on e-commerce. So that's kind of their goals, and that's something that they're doing. Um, whether they will be successful, they're not the only ones either. Right, right. We'll see. But yeah, that's kind of their what's, plans. Uh, what's the timeline for this? Is this something that they are uh, announcing that they're going to launch or they're just kind of... Uh... Well, Pointy they acquired and Pointy is just a company. They're still going to operate as they are. Now, the question is how Google will integrate them. Will Pointy remain mostly independent or will it be fully integrated into Google? I think it'll probably be fully integrated into Google mm -hmm. and that maybe even the Pointy name will go away and it'll just be Google... Uh, infrastructure or whatever they end up calling yeah. it. But um, it's really interesting to see. And then we talked a little last week about what Facebook is doing, and I don't want to get into that again, but I wrote a whole kind of very in-depth explanation that's going to go out today on our newsletter. Well, it'll already be out by the time this podcast goes out. So if you want to haven't subscribed to that, be sure to subscribe because I go a little more in depth on these things. Right. Uh, but that's that's what Google is up to right now. Very good. Um, you just mentioned Facebook and... Um it's funny that Facebook um, announced last year, I think it was October, November, that we're going to have a new look for their um, uh, mm -hmm. interface or their, their main console or the main pages, uh, a new design, more modern. Uh, it was actually due for a design for a facelift because Facebook has yeah. basically looked the same since almost day one, uh, except for a few changes. But obviously, they changed the logo a little bit. Um, the biggest problem is that you know they keep adding more and more features, mm -hmm. which in a way is good, but it also... Just made it so complex it's, and it's messy kind of, yeah, and busy. It's a lot of stuff that sometimes you don't want to see, and and, and actually, there's a it's, it's kind of hard to clean up your space so you can select what windows to see. But anyways, they they came up with that, and it's been kind of like nobody has seen it. And then it looks like they are now uh, launching it, even though it's by 
invitation only. An invitation means that you can even opt into that. They, they, you will see individuals are not so much at this point, but I think pages, they, they're already seeing the new look yeah. or being offered. And they send basically, like it happened to us, that's what I'm talking about it. But yesterday I was on our own Facebook page, the MGR one. And uh, when I went there, it says, would you like to switch over to a new look? And I was like, oh, this is the new look. And so I clicked and there it was, the new look. And um, I was going to put it up on the screen, but there's a lot of uh, convoluted stuff. So uh, you guys can look it up later. I put some screenshots on the uh, in the show notes. But uh, Well, it's funny because you said... I didn't see it. You saw it first and you said, it looks kind of like Twitter. Yeah. And then you opened it for me. And I said, is that it? I said that it looks exactly well, like the desktop version of Twitter. Yeah, exactly. So so what they did is they, they have like a center column with all your feed and everything else, just like Twitter yeah. with your post, uh, your news feed. And then on the right-hand side, you have a bunch of contacts and it tells you who is on or not with the little green dot next to them. Yeah. And then on the left, you have your menu of whatever your page has. You know, It's uh, your page similar menu. to the old one. It just, it's much cleaner, right. much nicer. They, they, and the design is kind of uh, clean. All the, all the boxes have like round corners. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's a lot better than yeah, and, and obviously you know Facebook like Twitter and every every other app these days is is optimized for mobile. So on mobile, um, you don't see all these other sidebars that we had, yeah. and you just see your news feed and everything else. So I don't know. The, the funny thing is that Facebook also has a dark mode, which apparently now is the fashion. Everybody has to have a dark mode. Yeah. Apple came with their new phones with a dark mode, and then Facebook also you can toggle back and forth. I'm gonna uh, be a contrarian. I don't people, like it. I mean, I use the I dark mode. I don't like it. It hurts my eyes. And people say that the light mode hurts their eyes. It, 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 it's funny because I saw the same thing. And, and when I got my um, the new iOS on the iPhone, I uh, switched over to a dark mode just to be snob, basically. <laughs> and uh, I didn't like it, but I said, oh, I need to get used to it. And then I kind of got used to it. But I, I, then I realized I'm forcing myself to this and I don't really like it, especially for websites. And the only advantage is when you are looking at your phone in a dark place or at night or something, yeah. then it helps. Because then even if you minimize your uh, screen brightness, it still is too bright. And the dark mode in those cases, it helps. Yeah, I was going to say, the only case that I think would be cool is if you could say, like automatically set your phone so that after 10 p.m. Right. it goes to dark mode. So if you turn on your phone at night, it's in dark mode. But for me personally, uh, people say that it hurts their eyes to look at the white screen. No, when I read, like I tried Twitter dark mode because Twitter's had dark mode for a long time and it hurts my eyes. Like, like after I, I literally feel like I'm getting a headache looking and, it's a little and more dark web pages too. Yeah. That's my personal opinion. Obviously, you know, it but doesn't really it matter. It helps when you are like, obviously in the movie theaters, every time you go, it says turn off your phone and yeah. all that stuff. I and mean, you are in a movie theater and you are looking at your phone or checking some messages you're doing in dark mode is going to be less bright right there's specific cases you know. where maybe it's better but for me like everyday use right i don't like it honestly. so anyways facebook has the option now for a dark mode which actually is funny because i just i just read that uh whatsapp is also coming with their own dark mode so pretty much everybody's gonna have a dark mode or bright mode or whatever so if you're a fan of that good for you um all right so i wanted to talk about netflix too because I, well, you too, but I mean, I, I, I always follow the stock market a little bit and I like to see, we, we were talking last year, which looks like far away, but it was just last month. Um, but we were talking last quarter actually about the uh, streaming video wars and everything else. Disney Plus launched in December as we, as we know. And then obviously we have all the other Plus services. Um, Apple, is it Apple Plus? What is it called? 
Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus, right. Also launched, um, and they have their own programming and everything else. And then we were kind of concerned about how all these streaming video wars and everything were going to affect Netflix. Obviously, loss of um, some of the programming that was coming from Disney and all that stuff that Disney said, okay, we're going to take over that. And then, obviously, uh, Netflix has a lot of their own programming in place. And we just were talking about the um, Irishman um, that was actually nominated for um, Academy Awards and, and Golden Globes and everything. So, uh, so as it went, um, just um, I think it was yesterday, the, um, Netflix reported numbers and uh, their subscriber base went up by almost about, I was looking at the numbers, I think it's over almost 9 million streaming subscribers, 8.7 or something like that, which actually increased uh, it was above expectations. I think um, um, they were expecting to get like seven, seven and a half, and they got like another extra million, which is good for Netflix. Um, the stock actually is down a little bit, and that's because they also said that they face much more competition now. Surprise, surprise, because they have other services that are, are now competing with, with the same budget, basically. Yeah. So... Um, what's your take on that as far as what, now that we have a, maybe a few a month or a month and a half or two months of uh, the uh, the other services like Disney Plus consolidating and Apple TV Plus and so forth, where do you think this is going to settle? Because at the end of the day, the consumer needs to pay for these services, whether it's $15 yeah. to Netflix and another 10 or something, whatever it was, Disney Plus plus the Apple Seven. TV. Yeah, they started low and they probably increased it at some point. But right now, their bundle where you get Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus is twelve bucks a month. Right, thirteen other 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 um, products, and then on top of that, you have the Amazon Prime, which obviously comes with with uh, shipping and everything else yeah. too. But you have the service that's about ten dollars a month, or you pay yearly, and it's one hundred and twenty or something these days. I would just bill for that. Um, so, anyways, at the end of the day, the consumer needs to decide. Are we going to start paying 15 plus 15 plus 10 plus 12, you know, or or we choose one or the other, depending on what's their favorite programming. So Netflix said that they expect more headwinds ahead just because there's a, a little bit of yeah. consolidation taking place. And I, actually, that's what caused the market to, or their, their stock to go down a little bit. I mean, not much, but just investors are saying, hmm, maybe we should start rethinking this. Yeah, I think... Uh I think that there's this like weird idea that people have that it's like people are only going to have one or two streaming services and that's it. I think that's wrong. I mean, uh, I think there's room for people to have Netflix and Disney and Hulu and a lot of things. You know, the ones that I'm more concerned about or skeptical of would be the ones that are uh, basically way further behind and don't have much of an enticing factor than like a CBS All Access or Time Warner's new thing. Like, I mean, HBO Max is coming, which is going to be 20 a month or something. Right, right. And it, I don't know if people want to spend 20 a month, but this idea that, oh, people are going to subscribe to Disney Plus and then leave Netflix, I think is wrong. I mean, maybe there's a small percentage of people who do that, but I think the majority of people... Because you have to think, who who is the market for Disney Plus, for example? Mostly families, right? right. Families, p parents with kids, right? That's the market. Uh, I don't think that those parents are going to say, oh, well, because I'm getting Disney Plus for my kids, I'm going to unsubscribe from Netflix. Like, I think that's, that's stupid. I don't think that's going to happen. Plus, okay, say you get the Hulu ESPN Disney Plus bundle, which is 13 bucks a month, and then the Netflix bundle, 26 Okay, so it's 26 bucks a month when people were just paying 100 plus a month for cable, 
you know. Right, but the thing is that probably still paying for cable in addition to all this. Yeah, stuff. I actually think that the bigger challenge for Netflix is not going to be necessarily the other streaming services as competition. I think it's going to be just getting people to drop their uh, cable subscriptions and legacy subscriptions for Netflix instead, um, because there's a few things that. Uh, you know, cable still has that Netflix doesn't. The primary being live sports. Mm -hmm. That's where uh, Hulu and YouTube TV and other these other services come in. Where Hulu, YouTube TV, other services have live sports. Um, so I I just think this idea that that because Disney Plus is successful that Netflix is going to lose is is wrong. I think it's not zero sum. I don't think people are going to choose. A well, streaming yeah, it's, service. Yeah, it's not gonna be like that. But at some point, you need to put a cap on your monthly monthly expenses for basically TV viewing. You know, and um, yeah, but I don't think when, when you, you look realize at you're paying for your local, even the most basic cable bundle with your local TV stations, and then you start looking into maybe you know Netflix and Amazon Prime, maybe which everybody has because of all the other advantages, and then uh, that you have the the Disney uh, bundle with ESPN and Hulu, and, and now you have uh, maybe uh, Apple TV Plus, and I mean, you start adding everything, and you're easily spending $150 a month or more, depending yeah, on but, the market, but that's a lot of money just for watching shows, you know? Yeah, but that's what people are already YouTube too. How much is YouTube? The subscriber service? Uh, 50, I think. 50? Or 45, 54. A month? Yeah, but you get it basically. It's like a, a cable replacement, basically. Okay, so that is the cable replacement. You get your local TV stations to there and all that stuff, yeah. including sports and everything. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. So, so if that's... you have, if you decided, okay, fifty bucks a month for YouTube TV, and then I'll get the Hulu Disney bundle. That's thirteen, and then Netflix thirteen. That's seventy six bucks a month. Okay. That's way less than you were paying for cable. Most people were paying a hundred, hundred fifty bucks a month for cable. And it's just that uh, there's this idea that streaming is going to make people save money. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that used to be true, but I think that streaming gives you more bang for your buck. Whereas before you paid 150 bucks a month for cable and you had these channels. And now you pay 150 bucks a month, but you have literally an infinite amount of content. Right, but the other thing is that uh, to me it's like, okay, for Apple... TV, you need your Apple TV device, and then for YouTube or Chromecast, you need the Chromecast device, and then for... Yeah, but that's not true. You can get YouTube for, TV on Apple. For Amazon, you need your Amazon device as well. I mean, at the end of the day, you have so many, you know, devices to be plugged into your TV and everything else. I mean, obviously, the smart TVs have with, you know, the option to add Netflix and all these other things, but... And the cable box, it's just a cable box. So, I mean, I, I, I it, it, people were not... In fact, in the beginning, it was more about saving money, cutting the cord, basically saying, "Okay, cable. I'm tired of cable because cable companies have are notorious for the worst customer service you can have because they have this monopoly. Now they're trying to smooth it out and trying to compete more. But yeah, but uh, like people, you said, it's not so much about saving money. It's just basically about having different people, options, some more on-demand programming than anything else. People are willing to spend money on entertainment. Like you got to think about it, like. Honestly, these streaming services, it's incredible that they are so cheap because for seven bucks a month, you get a ca the entire catalog, Disney catalog for 100 years yes, and all but, of their new but stuff. The, the, the weakest link of all these services is that you rely on a high-speed internet connection. 
Yeah, but these so days, the who, co- the cost, on top of that, you need to pay for that. Obviously, cable TV, yeah, but, cable TV. But, but now the, you need to have a. If you have all this 4K streaming and other stuff, and then you don't. I, I mean, mean you're four, paying probably 4K another. 4K is one thing, but most people don't stream 4K. They just stream HD. And either the, way, the I mean, market that's of if someone doesn't have high speed internet, they're probably not your market anyways if you're a streaming service so i don't think that's a good argument maybe when you start going international uh but this idea that domestically in the u.s and canada in in developed europe like that that people are gonna unsubscribe from netflix i think it would take a lot for people to unsubscribe well, let me ask from you netflix. When, when- especially by the way they have by far the highest content budget ever and you mentioned before the podcast well they're losing a lot of deals with um like big shows like The Office and Friends or whatever, right? right? And in Friends' case, they actually won it, but they spent a bunch of money. But anyways, um, I think that's a blessing in disguise for them because that is is a commodity. It's whoever's the highest bidder bidder gets the rights to those shows. But Netflix, is if they're saving hundreds of millions on licensing, they can take that and build their own original shows that they own forever Mm -hmm. and you can only get with a Netflix subscription. So... Now the stock price, uh, are they overvalued? Yeah, probably. Well, most of the tech companies. But that's why they're going down. But I, and this is a whole different conversation. If they want to keep making more money, uh, forget about the streaming revenue. I think the streaming revenue should pale in comparison to their merchandising revenue. But no, they I, haven't we, maximized yeah, we, that. We, yeah, we discussed, and, and also obviously the fact that Netflix is not capitalizing on the merchandising and they're not yeah. doing anything I, on, the, I, on the side. You, Disney, you, you did mention is going to make a few a few billion a year from Disney Plus down the road, and that's great. But that's not their revenue driver. Mm-hmm. They have another fifty billion in revenue that they're going to get from all these other things be, based on the content that they make. So yeah. for Netflix, if they're making whatever how many subscribers they have now 120 30 oh netflix like well they i don't know how many they have but they added 8.7 almost 8 million almost 9 million last 130 something million oh yeah yeah but that's worldwide if it's 130 million yeah like let's say the u.s don't they have about like 70 million in the u.s roughly Mm -hmm. if they have 70 million subscribers and each of them are paying whatever they pay at least 15 uh, or 13 bucks yeah, it's fourteen, fifteen, or something. If they for pay the 100, 150 bucks a year, the the four K or the other one is a little more expensive. If they have, they pay hundred fifty bucks a year on uh, their streaming. That those people could easily spend hundred fifty bucks a year s- separately on various merchandise, whatever, right? Disneyland. One trip to Disneyland for a family is like six hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay, so or more, and so that pales and that money is way more than the money they make from the monthly subscription. The monthly subscription should be a driver for other revenue channels, not your primary revenue right, right. channel. That's the biggest mistake Netflix. One made. side note: since we're talking about Disney, I'm actually right now uh, reading the uh, biography of Bob Iger, uh, current mm, CEO. It's on of my list. Yeah, we we both have it. I think I haven't I haven't read it yet, but it's okay. On my yeah, list I, next. I I bought it before Christmas, and it's been kind of like waiting because I was in the middle of three other books. But uh, now I'm reading it, and honestly, I didn't think it was gonna be that great. Like I read a lot of it's like okay, this is another CEO about to retire, and yeah. um, with his yeah, biography. most of them are not good. And uh, no, it's really really good. I definitely recommend it. I think it's a hell of a ride or something. What's it? I don't even know the title. I just call it Bob Iger yeah, uh, biography, but. It's really just the just the preface, the uh, the prologue of the uh, his own uh, little intro is amazing. I don't want to you know uh, do any spoilers or anything, but 
I mean, from a person that started from the bottom of ABC, where he started working on ABC when it was ABC by itself, just a network, and before even Capital Cities on merging with ESPN and other stuff, and obviously before the Disney uh, negotiations. But anyways, it's, it's a great book, great biography. I highly recommend it, whether you like Disney or not. Um, you're in the business or in business, basically, with any kind of um, entrepreneurial uh, goals or anything. That is a whole lesson of uh, uh, people management, uh, project management, uh, crisis management, and basically all the way above. So, uh, quick note: back to the uh, the streaming um, comments that we're talking about. Five G. So five G is coming. We don't know exactly. I mean, it's just being announced and all that. And um, it's you know there's some uh, phone networks that are kind of announcing the pre five G and all that. But how is that going to affect um, streaming in general? Uh, I mean, 5G is going to be significantly faster than the current 4G for those who have 4G. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a significant leap from what we had before from 3G to 4G. 4G to 5G is like 100 times faster. But um, how is that going to affect um, streaming? And in most metro areas, the uh, cable provider is also the um, um, internet uh, provider, the service provider. So will yeah. that be the, the reason why people will finally just say, okay, screw my cable yeah. slash internet and I'm just going to use my 5G connection for everything? Yeah, on the streaming side, I mean, it'll just make speeds faster. So it's good for streaming. But I think the bigger thing is, as you just said, that right now, most places, there's a monopoly of one, two, maybe three different uh, ISPs, internet service providers, and typically they bundle the cable so that you can't mm -hmm. really cut your cord uh, without getting screwed on the internet cost. Uh, once 5G comes, then ideally there will be many, many more providers and they'll have a lot more competition so they can't just gouge you on price. And you don't have, like we right now, basically most people's internet is somehow commingled with their cable. Right. But it shouldn't be. It doesn't have to be. Right. It'll just they, have... They, they, they tie you, they bundle it together right. so you cannot... They, they say, want to make okay. more money. Right. But basically right now, like like for us in Phoenix, there's two major. There's Cox and CenturyLink. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, CenturyLink sucks. They have terrible internet. And then that leaves you with Cox, who has good internet. But you can only... It doesn't make sense to not get cable because... It's they just bundle it together, right. and if you get the internet alone, it costs just about as much as it does to get internet and cable. Mm -hmm. You know, so once that is separated, then yes, I think you'll see a lot more cord cutters, and maybe more people will jump to just streaming. Mm -hmm. So it'll be good for the streaming services. I personally cannot wait for all of these shitty ISPs who just hold people over a barrel uh, to go out of business because they just screw people. They have terrible customer service. They, they don't do. care. They gouge you on prices. I can't, I can't wait. Not to mention that you're late day. a couple of days and they cut you off. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. we know very well. Um, yeah, I mean, they, I, I, uh, I personally hate Cox, which is the one that we have in Arizona is the worst customer service, the worst website you try to pay online. You can even find a way to pay your freaking bill for that matter. Uh, but then if you don't pay it, which they don't even send you a letter or reminders or anything, they just cut you off in the middle of uh, the evening, obviously when you're watching TV and you have to call them up and pay and all that stuff. So it's all happened to me. So um, this is one other topic that um, I know you don't kind of want to get deep into it, but I, I really want to discuss privacy as far as phones, devices, and everything else. As you know, well, first of all, um, 
there's been news now in different media outlets about, uh, you remember when Jeff Bezos's uh, phone was hacked? Uh, that was about two years ago. I think it was 2018 when he was blackmailed and all that with the whole fiasco that happened and his divorce and all that too. But anyways, apparently now they are thinking that Saudi Arabia was involved with that. And, uh, and the reason why they think that is because uh, he and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia had a meeting and they were exchanging phone numbers and all that stuff. And then um, apparently uh, Saudi Arabia was not very happy with how the Washington Post, which is now owned obviously by Jeff Bezos, was reporting or writing news about Saudi Arabia, basically. So they wanted to pseudo blackmail him or make him soften the stand about Saudi Arabia and they were um, they allegedly um, the crowd prince of uh, Saudi Arabia sent him a WhatsApp message that was um, uh, basically infected with malware to hack into his phone and then they were able to basically get into his all his information pictures and everything else so it's getting to a point where the, the United Nations now is trying to investigate further into that situation and see if it's true or not so that's one point that we're talking about privacy and all that stuff for the phone devices or the mobile devices. And then on, in addition to that, we have also the controversy now again, even though it happened three years ago between Apple and the FBI and the government and the um, attorney general and other stuff, basically trying to get Apple to open up their iPhones for situations where there's national security terrorism or something like that to get into that information. So... Apple obviously had a very strong stand on privacy. They've uh, announced it before. They even reinforced it at the recent uh, CES show in Las Vegas. Uh, they have billboards saying we care about your privacy and other stuff. And uh, But at the same time, they do have a little known loophole through their iCloud where they have these encryption keys that they have the keys to decrypt basically consumer information information. Um, if the consumer loses their password or something, they say, okay, we only keep it for those extreme situations where the actual user needs it for to get back to their phone. So what's your take on all this as far as where you think privacy should stop or continue? Or what is your take as far as Apple stand? And basically, at what point do you draw the line between privacy and protecting U.S. citizens. Uh, I'm on Apple's side. I think uh, it'd be a different circumstance if the FBI and NSA and all these agencies had a great record of never infringing on people's privacy rights and following by the book and being very clean. But they've lost all trust I have in them. I don't trust the FBI or the NSA at all. So no, I don't want to give them just free reign to go and get into anybody's phone, innocent or not, warrant or not. It, no. Well, I mean, Apple's defense, I mean, they have a contract with, with their users where they basically say, we're going to preserve your privacy. You're trusting us with, yeah. with our, you're basically using our phone and we, in exchange, we're guaranteed that your information on your phone is, is kept private. private. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing. Now, uh, I understand also the uh, the other position saying, okay, well, in this case, we're talking about a criminal terrorist act or a person that actually committed a crime that we know it's not like he's innocent and proven guilty or anything like that. In this case, we know the person basically is guilty, um, committed a crime, killed himself, 
committing the crime and then uh, we have the phone, we just want to have access to how this thing developed. So uh, it's, it's, not, it's not different than coming to, a, uh, like to your home or something and say, hey, we have a warrant because we have a significant suspicions that you're being involved in some crime or something, I want to search your house. Yeah, but the so, difference is that what this would allow the FBI to do is to get into anybody's house without a warrant and without right. them even knowing. Imagine if the FBI could come, I mean, technically they probably could, in the middle of the night, come into your house, search everything, leave, by the time you wake up in the morning, you have no idea it happened and they didn't need a warrant, nothing. Mm -hmm. That is not allowed. And that is what would happen if Apple just gave them access to decrypt anyone's phone. But uh, as you know, because Apple has these decrypting keys for consumers for iCloud um, backups and things like that, don't you think there's a risk also that those keys could be could yeah, end up course. in the wrong hands as well? Of course. I don't think that they should be, you know, the reason you encrypt things. But, but... Like when when this happened last there's few years two ago, conversations here is should Apple be keeping all of this? Uh, no, probably not. Should they give access to the FBI? No, like that's two different conversations. Two wrongs don't make a right. But but what happened? Like you remember about three years ago when we had the San Bernardino shootings and all that stuff. It, with the yeah. same situation happened, and the I was on wanted, Apple's side too. Right, understood. But what happened is that. The government ended up going to an Israeli company yeah, to if the basically hack the iPhone, if which the they ended up doing. But you think, okay, why do we need to go to pay an Israeli company to do that listen, when we could have done it locally? If the, gov if the government wants to go around and do black hat methods and break the law, then they can do that uh, and face consequences that come up. But Apple should not do it. Apple should not give access mm -hmm. to the FBI. I mean, like I said... I'm sorry, but the FBI, the NSA, and all these agencies have have lost all goodwill with the American people at this point. I just think that there's no reason to that any American would be willing to trust that, oh, we're going to give this to the FBI, this amazingly powerful tool, and we're going to trust that they never use it maliciously. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't have that trust, and I don't think anybody has that trust. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, there's a, a famous platitude that was from the founding fathers. That is, I'd rather see a hundred guilty men go innocent than one guilty man, uh, or one sorry, innocent. than one innocent man be guilty. And that's yeah. this case. Right. Just because one person is guilty does not mean that now all the tens of millions of Americans with iPhones should have all of their data and privacy. Yeah, I mean, I don't upon. think that's ever going to be the case. But there are some because extenuating circumstances that may be warrant that kind of exception you know? uh, when you think about it sometimes <clears throat> you know a phone these days we call it a phone but it's almost like a second brain for people but I mean, no it's easier in, uh, yeah i mean it's all of your communications with people accounting you have information your, banking information you have your personal all, notes and of ideas course, of and course. diaries and whatever it's and just, it's they're almost it's almost as if the fbi had free reign on just tapping into anyone's mind it's, it's more than a person's it's, wallet or it's like a all minority report type thing i don't want that right right and obviously we're not talking that they're just going to go to everybody's phone it's just saying okay in this case we have but this situation we know this guys committed this act we have their phones can we get to them and and i remember in the case of the uh, uh san bernardino shootings they had this uh enabled the 10 times 10 attempts to to uh in enter the passcode or the passcode yeah. the four digit 
And then after that, the phone actually wipes out. Well, actually, I have that on my phone too. So they were afraid that they were going to run out of uh, options and then the, the whole information was going to be reset, you know. Okay. So, well, I mean, there's this. What do you think Apple should do? I give my opinion. I, it's tough. I mean, I, I, think, I think it needs to be pre-established from the beginning so people know what their rights are. And if, if Apple is saying we're going to preserve your privacy, obviously that's basically the way it should be. But at the same time, I think um, when you commit a crime and you're in, in cases where you're already proven guilty and they know there's no doubt about you committing the crime, I mean, basically, uh, you even killed yourself committing the crime. So uh, I, I can see that that could be a case for saying, okay, well, uh, we, we can get into this person's phone, you know. Right, but just because one person uh, or a few people commit a crime you know, and use the phone as a tool doesn't mean that all of a sudden the FBI should be able to just... No, no, I'm not saying... Un- no, that's what I'm saying. Unwarranted go into anybody's phone anytime they want without you even knowing. Right. No, no, no. But that's the, that's the thing. It should be something that within the privacy terms, it should be something that, you know, your privacy is preserved. In an ideal world, Unless, you would say... Of course, if they say, you know, they have a billboard saying... We care about your privacy, iPhone. Beautiful. That's a one headline that sells phones. If you were to say, we care about your privacy, except you commit a crime, in which case we may actually have to go into your phone and that yeah. will not sell a phone. It's a slippery slope. Well, because of in this it's case, always. I agree. Okay, it's very plain and clear, the situation. The guy is guilty. But I, as you know, you know, not all cases are universal. In most cases, it, it's not always clear who's guilty. Okay, that's why we have trials. That's why we uh, have of evidence. Of course, of course. But my point is that you can't just give them this powerful tool and then expect that, oh, but they're super honest and perfect and they would never abuse their power. But nobody's giving them a tool. Nobody's giving them a tool. Well, that's there's, what it is. No, no, there's no tool. There's, there's basically... The it's, f- it's, it's precedent. Because if they do it now, then it sets precedent for any time the FBI says, hey, we need to look at this guy's phone, but the, then they can. But the tool exists. That's the key part. Fine, but it's not from Apple. If they want to do black hat methods, of course, okay? If you want to get around Apple's security... You're never going to stop that, okay? Companies have security. You can, you can yeah, have... Yeah, but, uh, but Apple also, like I said, they have the decrypting keys because they said that for the users in case they I'm use I'm not talking about stuff, Apple. So. I'm not talking about whether that's right or not. I'm talking about uh, should Apple let the FBI through a back door? Mm-hmm. I think no. No, I agree. I mean, privacy is privacy and either you have it or you don't. I mean, that's, that's basically it. So, but there's... There has to be a unified, like like the U.S. is one of the few countries, civilized countries, that doesn't have a unified privacy law. Like like we we get all these things from Europe, like GDPRs and this and that, and they have a unified privacy. Obviously, the government gets there or whatever, but wh- whatever the law is, it needs to be unified so you don't leave it up to I don't each think individual that's tr- company. I don't think that's true. I think you well, can have. Yeah. I think states should have their laws. I think the federal government should not be involved. I think the states should have their laws, okay? So if you live in California, which just passed the CCPA, then that's your law. But if you don't like the CCPA, then you don't have to live in California. That's the reason why we have states. Well, it's not that California people don't like the CCPA. It's that it affects everybody else, obviously, doing business with California. Yeah, of and course. then it just becomes like if it, like here, if every state has a different law, you have 50 states. I mean, you can imagine, even for websites, we're going to have like 50 disclaimers. Oh, you're in California, you have this, but you're in Arizona, you do this. You, I mean, it's just, 
it's crazy. Anyways, let's let's move on. Um, actually, there's one thing that is a much lighter note. Um, as you know, this podcast is um, brought to you by MGR Agency, which is our parent company. But we were just kind of jokingly the other day. Actually, you told me uh, the most, uh, the highest revenue, uh, the, the the podcast rank by revenue. Mm. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, yeah, it came out yesterday, I think. Okay, so so obviously podcasting is is really really popular these days. Uh, there's a lot of very very good podcasts out there, and some others are not so good or very more niche. And you know we're trying to create ours as well. But uh, um, what are the top? Do you remember the top two, three, four, five? Yeah, I think I remember. Um, so it was number one was Joe Rogan. I think no surprise there. This is revenue generation. So podcasts. that's from from advertising. Yeah, pretty much. Basically, okay. which podcast made the most money? I mean, there's two. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts, including this one, that don't do any advertising, or they basically, yeah, we don't have any advertising or sponsors or anything. So obviously, but this includes like making money in other ways too. This is basically <clears throat> it's mostly just based on who are the most popular podcasts because obviously the more mm-hmm. popular you are, the more money you make. But right. essentially, uh, it was number one. Um, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. pretty obvious. I think most people would have guessed that. Number two was New York Times, da- The Daily. That one we're surprised it. about. Oh, no, I'm not surprised. Really? I mean, it's, it's the most popular, probably mainstream media podcast. Because I was subscribed to The Wall Street Journal, Daily. Yeah, whatever. but The Wall Street Journal is much smaller than and New York Times. And then I wasn't even impressed with that one. In fact, the podcast is like a little brief on the mornings. And it's a quick thing. It's maybe maybe like a ten minute little podcast in the mornings. And out of the ten minutes, they had like five minutes of commercials and then five minutes of news. And it was so intrusive that I said, you know well, what? I, I don't, don't listen to the daily, but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's better. But basically, that was number two. Number three was uh, Ben Shapiro, like the polar uh, opposite yeah. of uh, of the daily. Number four, who's number four? Um, Bill Simmons or no? Bill Simmons was number six. Oh, that's right. Um, Ramsey. I believe part of my tank, part of my tank, oh, which the, was Barstool Sports. Barstool podcast. Sports that we're talking about. Too. Number five was Conan O'Brien's podcast, and number six was Bill Simmons. I think that was what it was. Uh, but basically, my point was that I made to you, as I said, that kind of shows you how incredible the new. Uh, the current era we are in, because essentially podcasting is like the new radio type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it's actually it's radio on demand. Basically, it's radio on demand. It's more distributed too, because you don't need to be in a. You can get it anywhere. It's not like mm-hmm. you need to be in your car or have a radio right. uh, player. But out of the top six, four are essentially independent media or new media. Right. Joe right. Rogan, Barstool Sports, which is a new media, uh, Ben Shapiro, and Bill Simmons. Right, the only two are obviously the New York Times and then Conan O'Brien, who comes from Legacy. But those are the of the top six. Four were basically well, born <clears throat> on the internet. And what is interesting to me is that bo- two of those Barstool Sports and Bill Simmons, who's basically the ringer, the, the part of the ringer, uh, but he's the one who does mostly sports uh, podcasting. They're above ESPN. ESPN oh, yeah. has a number of podcasts. I mean, all, most of the most uh, famous TV shows are simulcast on podcasting or radio, and then they have a podcast version. Yeah, and then um, why do you think Conan <clears throat> started a podcast? Because mm-hmm. he's smart and realized, hey, you know what? Way more people listen to podcasts than watch late-night television. Well, yeah, he was on TN- T- TBS or TNT yeah. or, yeah, and Turner. TBS. And uh, so he has more listeners on the podcast than oh, viewers on TV. Way yeah. more. Yeah, incredible. Like, yeah. Joe Rogan, I think, is kind of, a lot of people say he's like the modern 
late night talk show. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a totally different format, but he's a comedian, funny guy who interviews lots of people. That's that's what late night talk shows are, right? right. But the viewership, the most popular, I believe, is Colbert right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but you have you know Colbert, Fallon, Kimmel, yeah. all these guys, right? Um, Joe Rogan's listenership, it's it's not even close right it's not even close and obviously most of them like like we do they also have the youtube uh version of the podcast yes. which basically have, you want to watch it you can just obviously jimmy watch fallon the actually is really smart because i actually i read this the other day that he um it was someone who was on his digital media team and they basically said that jimmy is like all in on digital because he mm, knows right. and basically they do a really good job of um and actually, it comes a little bit at the cost of their main show, where a lot of people don't even like watching the real show live right. because it's very segmented. They mm-hmm. have this segment interview, then they do a little game, then they do this. But why do they do that? Because they take he, all he those, chops it up and they put it like into five-minute clips and YouTube put it on videos. YouTube, and right. they get millions and millions of right. views. Right. But that's the new format, and mm-hmm. he's mastering that. He's blending the traditional with the modern. Conan obviously said... I'm just going to do, you know, instead of being limited to a 15-minute interview on the show with commercial breaks, I'm just going to do hour-long interviews mm-hmm. with people on my yeah, podcast. people like the long-format yeah. interviews. And, and, so, and that's the reason why even now in, in the uh, uh, election year that we are, all the political candidates prefer to go to these major mainstream you, podcasts because they can speak for an hour actually explaining their policy versus the uh, political debates where they have a 30-second yeah. soundbite and then they get rebuttal stuff all and they of just use a collection of soundbites. All of, all of the, like speaking of Joe Rogan, all of the Democratic candidates have asked to be on the show. Did you know right. that? Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah I, I didn't realize. Well, he has Obviously, like millions of downloads. I mean, it's oh, more... tens of millions. Yeah, I mean, the, the debates are actually going down in viewership one after another. And not to mention, the last one... People even didn't know there was a debate anymore. Oh, and, I know. Yeah, it was like, oh man, there's another. Debate. I know it's like wow. another one, and then you see the it's like, what the more st- do they have to talk about? They started with twenty, and now we're down to like five or six or something. But, but the point is, like on a debate, you get at most twenty minutes to talk, and it's fragmented. Oh yeah, between and uninterrupted and all that yeah. stuff. In this one, you get a one-on-one interview, and he'd had Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang. I, I think I think that was it. Did he have anybody else? Uh, yeah. But anyways, he said that Biden yeah. and uh, uh, Buttigieg Warren. and all these guys, yeah, yeah and Warren asked, yeah. but he was like, "Eh, I'm okay." But that's that tells you the power that mm-hmm. that he and the modern uh, new media have of that mm-hmm. the old school want to be on his podcast, right? Right. And it's funny. Um, you know, look at New York Times. In their case, they've actually done really well in the digital adaption. Their 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 stock is up 10x from 10 years mm-hmm. ago. And if you look at like, okay, for example, the New York Daily Pod, New York Times Daily podcast gets way more listeners mm-hmm. than like a CNN oh, show yeah. oh, or yeah. MSNBC or any of their direct competitors, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously, New York Times leans towards a liberal audience, and then MSNBC and CNN are are targeting that. And, and also the too. fact that. And Ben Shapiro too. Yeah, ben Shapiro's yeah. more on the right. right. He gets way more than Fox News. Yeah. Like new media is just being the hell well, out of old media. Well, but also keep in mind that, that, that the podcasting format has become so much more mainstream. Before it was like a very sophisticated way to create a podcast RSS feed. So it was very complicated. Now pretty much it's very simple. And the podcast networks have increased a lot. I mean, you have a lot of like Spotify now is becoming a major podcasting platform. Obviously you had Apple uh, iTunes, formerly iTunes, uh, now Apple, a podcast, then you have Google Play. You have a, a lot of different 
channels to get your podcast wherever you want and just drive around and instead of having radio on your car or something just listen to a podcast working out it's, it's a much more on-demand listening experience where you have the, the ability to listen to a long format interview as opposed to just be reduced to quick sound bites and quick interviews because then you have a commercial break or something morning tv is the same thing all the today shows and all that they have this little quick snippets where they're launching a, mu a movie or releasing a movie you have the actors go there they have like three four lines of commercial break and then you have the same actor just interview yeah. in a podcast and they give you everything all the information behind the scenes funny parts you know all that stuff is really much more um uh enlightening for for the for the uh yeah. viewership or for the listener all right um i think that's um uh, everything i have uh for today we anything, covered everything anything else you'd like to add that's it for me. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for joining me today. I, this is like a bonus for me because, I, like I said, I wasn't even expecting to be recording this week. Um, I'll be... Um, I'm, glad I, over. I'm glad I twisted your arm into doing it. Strong arm. Uh, no, I'll be heading over to California this weekend. I'll, say, I'll be posting some stuff on my uh, personal Instagram account. I'll be racing with a couple of buddies there. And um, we'll definitely be back next week again with another episode. And um, that's it for now. See you. Thank you. Bye-bye.